We're talking today about a, a subject I love so much, and I think some of us in this room love it so much, we can't get enough of it, but at times we can maybe not have a desire for it, and our love can grow a little bit cold in it, so it's, we're getting back to it this morning. We're done with our renewal series, which is quite an accomplishment, four or five months going through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, getting in the book. But we're done with our renewal series, so new hair, new me, Roy and I are practicing this with our haircuts. Anyone can join us. Today we're, we're just talking about that thing that we love, but sometimes our love can grow or fade. We're talking about the Word of God. The Word of God, how that builds our relationship with God, how we can thirst and hunger for that. It's a book, uh, a couple of statistics I have for us that I thought were very interesting. I, I once walked into the U of O library and I said, hey, can I see the world's bestseller? And she looked at me like deer in the headlights. She didn't know what I was talking about and I'd tell her the Bible. And this is one of the biggest libraries in the Northwest. It actually has the truth shall set you free above the door when you go in the library, which is from the Bible. So this top librarian at one of the biggest libraries, she said, oh, the Bible, and then she couldn't find it in the library. <laughs> but it is the world's number one seller. There's 100 million Bibles distributed yearly, more than 100 million. The sales for the Bible top 400 million, something like that every year. It's incredible. It's inspired more song lyrics than any other book. Our music inspired by it. It's the most popular book and most cited on all social media posts in the world. It's pretty cool because sometimes social media can seem like a, a dark place, but actually people quoting the Bible and sharing the Bible, that's the most talked about quoted thing there. Hopefully they're quoting it in a good way. <laughs> It's the most reliable piece of ancient literature with over 23,000 ancient manuscripts, a few thousand of which are in the original Greek. And that's pretty spectacular when it comes to ancient literature. The next closest manuscripts for other works like Homer or Plato, they don't even come close to that. You know, as we were going through our Ezra and Nehemiah series, Ezra said this, said this about his heart towards the word of God. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says he set his heart to learn the word of God, to do it, and then to teach it to others. That's what we're talking about today. He set his heart. He resolved to be about this book. And then we saw that heart cause revival and others imitated that heart and he restored the priesthood and the Levites and they're all teaching one another by this book. So how do we set our hearts for God's word and have that resolved? Well, I, we're going to go to the Psalms today, and I'll just say up front that this book, the Bible, leads to joy, to peace, to comfort, to hope, to be able to enjoy our lives more and have life to the full. So maybe you hear that and you say, well, I already have that. All right, well, the Bible can give you more of that. Maybe you're hearing this and you say, I, I, 
I don't have that. I would like to see if that's true or not. I hope to prove that that is true by the word today. So wherever you're at, if this is something you can just have a little more growth in, take one more step towards immersing yourself in the word of God, then that's awesome. If it's something you're just starting or something you've read through multiple times, how can we take just one more step to further set our hearts in the word? Psalms 19, I have in our slide, and we have a couple other psalms that we're actually going to open our Bible sports. So I don't have them in the slideshow. Psalms 19 is this incredible psalm by King David. An incredible king, a man after God's own heart, and this is what he says about the word of God. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. King David here is just writing about God's glory revealed in creation. Say, look at this speech being poured forth. Look at this great testimony of the Lord. The glory of God we see in the splendor of creation. It says this in Romans 1.20. It says, the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So, all right, before we even reach the world of God, this is what David's setting up in Psalms 19 here. The first four or five verses, he's just talking about creation revealing God. And many of us start there. I, I remember when I was a kid, like four years old, I'd run around picking flowers. And I'd be like, thank you, God. This is so beautiful. <laughs> that revealed God to me much more than the word of God at that age. Because I hadn't immersed myself yet in the word of God. Yesterday, we were out of Blue Pool, seeing the sun hit the waters up there in the mountains. It, I couldn't even describe to you, I'm not even going to try, <laughs> the blue that's up there. But it's amazing. It declares the glory of God. As amazing as it is, David goes on to say there's something even more amazing. Verse 5. He's still talking about the sun right here, right? So the sun has, there's a tent set for the sun in the firmament here. Verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. All right, so I put out blue pool. For you, imagine that place where you've just seen God's glory. Maybe it's that natural sunset, that natural sunrise, something so incredibly beautiful, natural, that you've witnessed in your lifetime. Think about that natural beauty. That's what David is getting at here. He's marveling at this creation. God's revealing himself. Now, see, so picture that beautiful place most beautiful one we've seen, David is going to give us 
an even more beautiful picture. He's about to, to hinge over here in verse 7 to something even beyond creation. And, and that's tough for me to consider, all right, it, how can this be an even greater revelation of God? How can this tell me even more about God? It's emotionally where, where my heart's at before immersing myself in the Word. I can remember some beautiful sunsets and some dark times in my life where those sunsets revealed quite a lot, where I'm praying to the Lord and I'm in anguish or pain or repentance or grief and I'm just seeing God in a sunrise or sunset. Those mountaintop experiences, those are powerful. But there's something even more powerful if you immerse yourself in the Word. Oftentimes when we're on the trail, many of us hiking about Bend, Oregon, I start to talk about church, and people say, oh, this is my church. You know, out here in the wild. <laughs> and it's kind of a conversation shut down, like, oh, well, this is my church, and I don't want to deny that, because it is beautiful, and it is, yeah, God's natural splendor, but you're missing out on so much if that is all your church is, being out there on the mountainside. There's so much more with God's people and in God's word. All right, we're going to get into verse 7 and camp out here. Even more powerful than that place you're imagining. Even more awe-inspiring. Even greater than that goodness that's seen in creation. It's the power of the word of God. A greater grandeur, a greater artistry. Verse 7 says this, after as much as there's glory in these first six verses, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's quite a huge claim there. There's greater testimony and revelation in God's word, as we're going to read in the rest of the psalm. It's perfect, reviving the soul. Ben brought up this morning something about the, the titles of God, and I thought it was so cool, because I was going to talk about it in my sermon right now. In the first six verses of Psalms 19, God's referred to as El, that title. But then as it shifts here in verse 7 to talking about the Word of God, it's so no longer creation but the Word, it shifts to Yahweh, which speaks to the covenant love of God. And I love that it shifts right there because I think, yeah, I learned about God as sort of a, in a general way as a being, as the title L in nature. But as I shift to his word, I sink into that loving relationship with him. I learned more about Yahweh through his word. So we get a shift of titles right there. What else is going on? Perfect. Translation might say something different right there, but it's back to the Hebrew word, the idea of sufficient. This has what you need. This perfect word. It's comprehensive. This has what you require. Which I really believe. Yes, there's many other great philosophy and political and sociological and psychological and just good advice, home-living books out there, but the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness, as the Bible would say. 
It's what we need for life and godliness. It's perfect. Now, right here, some of us might be a little lost and go, okay, is this what I need for life and, and godliness? You know, there, there's some things in my life that seem to, I need some answers. I don't know if the Bible has them. I've had some experiences, some circumstances. I've been through a lot. And I see these saints in the Bible. I don't know if they can relate to me. Do they really know the trials I'm going through? Well, King David is writing this. A guy who's had the spoil and the trial. A king, yes, but he, he betrayed others and knew betrayal. He had a messed up marriage, a messed up family. He also had a great family and a great marriage at times. He knew what it was like to, to lose a son. He knew what it was like to have a son betray him and betray his whole household. He knew the trials. When I think of my own life, and I begin to think, but they don't really know what I'm going through, I go, oh yeah, he's been through so much more. And he says the law of the Lord is perfect. He knew what it was to not only go through those trials, but to repent to forgive, to obey the word of God, and to endure because the law of the Lord is sufficient to get through those trials. The second claim of verse 7, has the power to revive the soul. We're out of our renewal series, so I won't use that word, but to revive the soul. Man, that empowers revival. Empowers change at the soul level. And if you've ever, ever heard somebody share their testimony about getting to know God and repenting, you've seen this. You've seen this become a totally different person. Myself, before I immersed myself in the Word, let me tell you, I was a totally different person. But this has power to change you at the soul level, the heart level. And that encourages me to think about my struggles, that this has the power to help me change and revive my soul. No matter where my soul is at, this has the power to revive it, to become different. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Yeah, I immersed myself. I learned a thing or two by God's testimony. Look at verse 8. It says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. Have you ever felt that heart rejoicing? To feel your heart leap at something. To have that sudden pickup of joy in your heart. I, I think David is saying a lot more right here than just, yeah, it's encouraging, but no, it's, my heart rejoices in it. That's powerful. That's, you know, to say that it's right, the precepts of the Lord are right, that means it, it's all correct, it all fits together. I was using my miter saw this week and making like 45 degree angles in the wood and then you, you line them up and they fit together and it's all flesh and it's right and it's this oddly satisfying thing. That makes my heart leap a little bit right there. 
It's right. You ever watch those compilations online, like oddly satisfying things where it just perfectly fits in? That's what David's talking about here. That kind of heart satisfaction when you line up those angles. Feeling your heart leap. When you get goosebumps over it. I'll quote Psalms 119 here. Verse 162 of that, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, like an incredible treasure. I've discovered great spoil. There's rejoicing there. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Man, more reliable than riches, more satisfying than the experiences of our senses, than sensual experiences. Think of your, your favorite sweetest thing, like honey. The favorite thing you like to eat. And think of the biggest paycheck you've ever received. More desirable than riches. Better than both of those things. This is David's claim about the Bible. To hunger and thirst for this. Like you would your biggest paycheck. Like you would that thing you love to eat or drink more than anything else that's out there. All right, so this is David building up the Word of God, and I've built up the Word of God, and I've declared these truths that it is better, but maybe I've lost some of us, and certainly I've had times in my life where this would totally lose me, because I would look at this and say, all right, maybe, <laughs> maybe I believe that, maybe I believe that that will bring me joy and peace and comfort and make my heart rejoice and give me satisfaction. Maybe I believe that, but I, I still don't really want to read the Bible. <laughs> I, I don't really feel like it. It's kind of hard to, to get me there. Hey, when I open the Bible, it's just boring. I, I get bored when I open it sometimes. I've been there. And I want to focus in here for how to get our hearts from A to B. I just think, if you believe that the Bible can lead to that joy and happiness, if you have that desire, if you want to want to read the Word, then how can we grow in that desire? I have three words on how we can do that. Read the Bible. And I'm not saying just read it. I'm not trying to give it. That wouldn't be right. <laughs> Just do it. No, that's what Nike says, but not me. But read the Bible. Begin to read and immerse yourself in it. Because your desire can grow. As he says here with the honeycomb, taste buds can change. I remember when I was little, this is what I am saying with read the Bible. When I was little, for some reason, I didn't like chicken. Everyone, yeah, yeah, I just got it. Everyone's disgusted with me. <laughs> I didn't like chicken when I was little, but my taste buds have changed. 
I remember one time it was chicken and rice. My dad had to chase me around the table and like, you know, pull my mouth open and shove it in my mouth and I spit it out. I was like, yeah, that's awful. And now I've had like, you know, I could eat a whole pack of rice aroni. I love it with the chicken. Taste buds change. And I'm not saying, I'm not even saying just read it and your taste buds will change. Because I think that's too simple. And that doesn't happen immediately. But here's what I am saying. What are we feasting on? When we look at this and we say, oh, that's honeycomb. Well, I'm going to go feast on something else. When Jesus says, hey, hunger and thirst for righteousness. When he says, hey, man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. What are we feasting on? Are we feasting and desiring the trivial in life or the words that lead to life? Because I can definitely feast on so much stuff that's not the word of God. And then I even develop a hunger for that and a taste for that. There's TV shows out there. I said, oh, I never watch that. And then people say, oh, you just have to make it through season one. <laughs> and then I'm hooked and I can't wait for the next episode. And I'm like nine seasons in. All right, that's, that is what I'm saying about the Bible. <laughs> You can make it through the season one. You can develop a taste for what you're feasting on into season two and three. Because you learn about the characters, right? Because it's no longer El, but it's Yahweh. Because God is revealing himself and his redemption, his relationship with you. That's how we can grow in our desire for the word. If I'm honest, again, I don't always have that desire. But I also have to say the strongest points in my spiritual walk are the times when I'm reading God's word the most. And maybe I'm journaling it. Maybe I'm even memorizing it. And I have to say that the weakest points in my walk with the Lord are the times when I'm, you know, maybe I'll listen to a quick podcast in the morning. Or, you know, I'll have quiet time another day of the week. Usually lines up with the weakest points in my walk with the Lord, in my relationship with Him. If we're honest, I think many of us as disciples have been there many times in our walk. In a moment, I want to go to where David speaks about that, both the confidence and the pleasure of God's word, but also the struggle of reading and following and obeying God's word. And both can be present in our lives, and as disciples, we've got to be real about that. Yes, teach each other, but yes, be real about the struggle of, I'm just struggling to read it, let alone teach it. Let's help each other out. Are we thirsting for what only leads to more thirst, or are we thirsting for the only thing that will bring true satisfaction, like it says in John 7. Are we already full of other things? So when we start to feed on the word of God, our hunger for those other things, I believe it decreases. When you taste more and more of this honeycomb, it's like when you've had a great steak, you don't want to go to McDonald's right after. You know, when... It, when we have Cinco de Mayo Wednesday night, you're not going to want to go to Taco Bell, you know, fourth meal, whatever they call it right after. Okay, Veronica says, I don't know. 
see the confidence and the struggle, both displayed right here. <laughs> Verse 11. It says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare, to me, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who can discern his errors? I quickly want to speak about how to read the word of God. Because how we read it can affect the way we're digesting it, the way we're enjoying it, the way it's benefiting us. More important than just reading it is how you're reading it. Very quickly, there's a few ways I've just identified in myself in which I can approach the Word of God. Here's number one, an emotional approach. Where I say, hey, what works best for me? But then when I approach it that way, I, I tend to twist it to my own taste. What works best for me, the emotional approach. I want to have it my own way. And I don't think we should read the word of God that way. So, okay, there's sometimes I call it the, the spiritual approach. Where I say, oh, what, what am I missing? What's the new novel thing here? Like Christianity's just been waiting around for me to come on the scene and find this new revelation in the word somewhere. But then I'm not really feasting on the word of God. I'm like looking for that one thing. And I think I'm even trying to find something just to, I don't know, give, make me seem better than others. If look at the new thing I discovered. Spiritual approach. Pragmatic approach. This is probably me very often. What works best for me? How can it accommodate my life and, and fit in with my schedule? What's, what's really pragmatic here? Yes, we need to fit it into our schedule, but if it's pragmatic only, I'm going to only look to the scriptures that are practical for my life and ignore everything else and not feast on the word of God. Superficial approach. This can be a starting place, and this is okay. Superficial approach. This asks of the text, hey, what does this mean to me personally? What does this mean to me? It's direct to application. And too often I go here, what does it mean to me? What does it mean for others? So I can tell others what to do. We're each going to get different applications from the word. Psalms 19, what I'm talking about today. I don't think it's going to help us a lot to ask every single person, what does it mean to you personally? You can get somewhere, but you can get so much deeper by not asking what does it mean to me, but what does it mean to the Holy Spirit? What did it mean to King David? What does, what does it mean for them when they hear this psalm in the original context? That's beyond the superficial. We often get together for Bible discussions, and we begin with the superficial, right? What does it mean to me? And that's okay. But the problem is you go around to different people, and the honeycomb, for example, well, I, I got to eat more honey. That's what I take away from this. That's where you go if you're only asking that question. So in our Bible discussions, we, we have to drive it back to, well, what is God telling us in the scripture? 
that will steer us more straight. Not to determine everyone's personal meaning, but to determine what the Holy Spirit wants. That's what I want to talk about with the word meditate. Meditate is the word you're going to get most often for the Bible talking about how to read the word of God, to meditate. That's our key word. And to me, to meditate is to ask those questions. If this is God-breathed, if these are God's words to me, written down by men, carried along by the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me? How can I set aside my own worldview and think about what God wants to tell me? Not what it means to my worldview, but set that aside. Concentrating and thinking deeply on the text. That's all meditation can mean in, in a simple form. Filling yourself with this knowledge. What is the author saying? And it's doing that. To meditate means to do that before you turn to the podcast, before you turn to the commentary. That can help and that can add to your meditation, but don't just let others do their thinking for you. Amen? Yes. We need to meditate ourselves first. To meditate means you don't open the Bible looking for options to consider, but we open the Bible looking for commands to obey. What is God telling me? How can I obey it? Hopefully most of us can relate to this. We, we were pursuing one another, so we had a great interest in what the other one intended to say or was saying to us, because we would write each other encouragement cards or we'd send each other texts. So I'd get the encouragement card from Madison after a group date, and I'd, I'd be there in the brother's household, and we'd all be dissecting it. Like, I don't know, she dotted the eye with the heart. What does she mean by that? You know, she, she said, you're such a great brother. Oh, man, you're done for. You're in the friend zone. No, no, you're just reading into it, bro. <laughs> I remember one specific card, actually, she said, and I, I, this still affects me today. She said, you've grown so much. <laughs> and to her, that was intent and impact. To her, that was a good thing. Like, oh, you're such a great brother. To me, that was like, you're such a, you know, such an amateur. And look, you've really grown. You're a struggler over here. <laughs> grown so much. Never tell me that. I'll take it the wrong way. <laughs> and maybe you've sent a text to somebody you care deeply about and gotten a text from them and you wonder, what do they mean? <laughs> Same thing, if, if the Bible is God's love letter to us, developing a relationship with us, we should read it and ask, what does God mean? <laughs> Not what does this text message mean to me? Yeah, that's important, but more importantly, I'm interested in what does God actually mean? <laughs> by that love letter. And I, I wrote cards to Madison, and well, that's another story. I don't want to put her on the spot. She's not here. But she wanted to know what I meant in those cards. Believe me. She wanted to know what it meant that if I sent cards out to different sisters to encourage them, encourage everyone in the church. We want to know what the author means. In ending here, I do want to turn over to Psalms 119. So if you have your Bible open, we don't have a slide for this. You can actually turn your Bible over to this scripture. 
But I'll end off uh, Psalms 19 just to say, David repeats six times in the text of the Lord. Truth of the Lord, testimony of the Lord, the law of the Lord. These aren't just words, this is of the Lord. We want to know what the Lord is trying to say. Greater than much fine gold. We believe that, how will that affect the way we read it? Psalms 119 says something very similar in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, here's what I was alluding to with a simultaneous struggle and realness and yet a confidence and a joy and an eagerness for God's word. You heard it there in those three verses, 9, 10, 11. Hey, word of God, word of God, word of God. According to his word, his commandments, stored up your word in my heart. And yet, how can a young man keep his way pure? Help me to not wander from your commandments. And I hope that I don't sin against you. we got to be real. That, that can be us. We can, we can have those feelings, amen? Yeah. A simultaneous struggle and dedication with the Word of God. Being real when we're weaker in those times. Because here's the thing. If, it, it's so hard sometimes in a church context to admit when we're spiritually weak or spiritually dying. It's the last thing you really want to tell others sometimes if there's a pressure on you. But that is what we need to share with others if we do want to get deeper in the Word of God and help one another to do that. Hey, have you tried journaling? Hey, have you tried memorizing? Hey, have you tried praying the Word of God? Maybe that's how you can read it. We want to help one another. He goes on in Psalms 119, verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your, of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And I ask from that description, how can the word be stored up in our heart and on our lips ready to declare it? And how can we not forget his word if we don't know it or read it in the first place. Then it's not in our hearts. Then it's not on our lips. Then we're not ready to declare it. Regardless of our ability to memorize or immerse ourselves in the text, because we all have different abilities and how deep we, we wish to go in that. Or can go. Sometimes we have 15 minutes of brain power and then, all right, <laughs> There's my depth, amen? That's okay, that's me many days. Ingraining my mind in the word, I want to take more steps into that. And here's David's claim, it's greater than riches. Again, greater than that biggest paycheck you've received. Do we believe that? 
When it comes to memorizing, my grandma, I grew up memorizing Bible verses. My grandma would give me a golden dollar for every Bible verse I memorized. So whenever I needed a golden dollar, I'd say, hey, Jesus wept. (laughs) And then I'd pick out other verses that were very short. (laughs) But eventually I was memorizing whole chapters, right? My auntie's a missionary in Africa. There's a gentleman staying with her who had broken his leg, and he really wanted, I can't remember what it was, I think it was a skateboard. She said, I'll buy you the skateboard if you memorize the New Testament. And he was recovering for about a month, but guess what he memorized? The New Testament. (laughs) What I'm saying is regardless of our ability to memorize, if I told you a week from now, I'll give you $1,000 for every verse you memorized, I think we'd get at least a few verses, right? And the point is just to say, what are we hungering for and thirsting for and valuing? Do we value the thousand dollars more than we value immersing ourselves in the word of God? Because David's claim is that immersing ourselves in the word of God is more valuable. Greater riches in his word greater benefits than a thousand dollars. We don't get those benefits if the Bible is just words on the shelf and not words in our heart. So we take communion today. I want to remind us again of Jesus's words, digesting the word, ingraining our minds in it. Jesus's words, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What I want us to think about as we take the bread today, communion at the table if you haven't gotten your bread and juice yet. But to end out our sermon, tomorrow morning, when you go to the Word of God, how will you set your heart? What will your resolve be towards the Word of God? Will you set his heart to meditate on his word and think deeper about it? To take another step to further meditate. For some of us, that might be reading more, might be journalizing. I said that twice now, didn't I? (laughs) Journaling, praying. For some of us, it might be reading less and just reading more deeply. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. God, I know that for each and every person in this room, you want to speak with us. You want to reveal yourself to us. You want to have a relationship with us. You want us to have not only life, as is repeated in these Psalms, that your word leads to life, but you want us to have life to the full by your word. God, we know that it leads to that to the comforts, to the joys, to the hopes. God, we're not always there. We don't always have that desire. Lord, help us to increase our hunger and thirst. Help us to feast more on your word than we feast on the trivial in life. And Lord, to drive our desire to do that as we take this bread and juice representing your body and your blood, help us remember We're hungering and thirsting for a relationship 
with you. God, that you enabled, that you sacrificed for on the cross. God, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that you want to speak to us through your word. Lord, we see your glory in creation. Help us to see greater glories in your word. God, even if those benefits don't come our way, help us to be satisfied just in the benefit of growing in that relationship with you through your word. God, help us to be satisfied just for that. Pray all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.